Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is navigating the freight downturn with my friend Kevin Coombs. Kevin is the vice president of sales over at Green Screens, and they provide dynamic pricing for freight brokers. Freight brokers that use dynamic pricing get more accurate freight quotes, and they get them faster. It allows them to streamline their business. They can do more with less, which is exactly what we need to do during the downturn. Until Green Screens came along, we only had the big guys with dynamic pricing. They're all using it to streamline their business. Now, Green Screens is making dynamic pricing available to small and mid-sized brokers. Of course, there's some big brokers using it too, but the point is dynamic pricing is a great way to get some competitive advantage and get some efficiencies during the downturn. So check out my interview with Kevin. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about the TMSA conference that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And TMSA is Transportation Marketing and Sales Association. And they're having a conference called Elevate. It's down in Savannah, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's all about learning, networking, getting inspired, having a good time, meeting the very top marketers in our space. And all the people who know how to grow your sales, they are at this conference. So it's a great event if you're trying to grow your sales and who isn't trying to grow their sales. So tmsatoday.org is the website. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I hope to see you down there. I will definitely be down there. So how's it going, Kevin? Great, Joe. It's good to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. We met at Manifest. I know we've been connected on LinkedIn. I feel like I knew you before I met you, but great, glad to have you finally on my podcast. So Kev, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Sure. So I am in, in Overland Park, Kansas. I'm Kevin Coombs. I am the Vice President of Sales at Green Screens AI. Green Screens is utilizing AI trained with machine learning models to essentially predict real-time freight pricing. So Ooh. if you're a broker and you need a load from Chicago to Dallas and you don't know what the truck load rate is for today, you put it into Green Screens and Green Screens gives you the answer of what that truck costs. You know, I know this has come up on my podcast before, but traditionally, and I know you've done it this way, we've had what we all call tribal knowledge, which is basically, we always do that lane. We've always done that lane. So we know what that lane costs. And depending on what the market's doing that day or that week, it goes up or it goes down. But that doesn't help the guy who started yesterday. <laughs> And as good as our systems are, you're like, yeah, do I want to trust that guy to give a price? Mm, not exactly. And that's that's kind of where we're at. I mean, so AI, we're not about man over machine or machine over man. We're really about man plus machine. That's really our goal with what we're trying to give do. Give me some guardrails. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly it. Guardrails is, a, is actually a term we use quite a bit to help understand what the real-time market is doing. You think about it like the stock market, right? Back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, before internet and before online trading and before the, the transactions were processed, a lot of it was phone calls, right? 
reading the newspaper, trying to trying to work off the 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 hearsay or on the fly, and then it moved online, and then everything became. You can see the buys, you can see the sells, you can understand where the market's trending. Right, and that's that's really kind of our goal with green screens is to kind of get the brokers into the game, so that they're not having to read the tea leaves, they're not having to make a bunch of calls, they're not having to try to figure out what the market's doing, or just work work off of gut feel or tribal knowledge, right? Because that doesn't always serve you well either if the market shifts on you or capacity shifts. So get them into the game quicker with a really, really accurate rate, we measure the accuracy of our rates as well against what they're actually booking the truck for. Since it's AI at the end, I know it gets better every single day. We all talk about, I'm getting better every day. Well, let's face it, we don't. We get, <laughs> some days we get worse than we were yesterday, but AI gets better every day. And that's, yeah, and, that's, and that's the that's great the part and maybe the yeah. scary part about it because it keeps getting... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I heard somebody yeah. talk about this in terms of cybersecurity yesterday, where somebody said people are starting to use AI for the wrong thing. You guys are doing it for the right thing. But imagine somebody says, hey, I want to hack into that system, and we got AI working on it. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing, too. It's interesting because there's two, there's two realms of AI, right? There's kind of narrow AI in what we focus on. AI is specific to a certain task. A specific calculation method and algorithm, right? Think about like Google with a search engine. It's it's narrow AI. It's very narrow scope of just finding the best search result. And then there's things like Google, right, with ChatGPT and others where it's very open ended. Or if you think about like Deep Lab, if you've read anything about Google and Deep Lab and Alpha Zero, Alpha Go was built to play Go, the Chinese traditional. Yeah, that's a Chinese chess kind of game, right? Right, right. And uh, it became really, really good at Go. They stripped it down and turned it into Alpha Zero and then taught it to play chess without giving it any other instructions. And it learned how to play chess within like 24 hours. I guess I read a book years ago, two years, two or three years ago. It was called The AI Superpowers. And it was written by the founder of Sinovision. So it was from Taiwan, mm -hmm. educated here in the US, stayed here for many years, then moved to China for work. And I think he started Sinovision either... I don't know where he started, but it's one of the top um, venture capital firms. But he talked about this seminal moment in China that we never really had here. And it was, they really love the game Go. And it's spelled, I think, G-O-H. G-O-U? Okay. Yeah. And it is like chess, not like checkers, much more like chess. And it's very strategic. And they said there was a belief that AI cannot win because this is a, this is, this takes, this takes a thinking that AI will never have. And AI beat one of their grandmasters in it. And it was kind of like a whoa moment. <laughs> like, and I think we kind of had that where I think AI beat a chess champion here. And we're like, okay, I think that was Watson or something from IBM. Well, and the thing about Go that's interesting. So I lived in China for three years. The thing that's interesting about Go is that it's different than chess in that there's multiple directions there's multiple directional movement in the game so the chess you can each piece has only certain movements and there's only so many directions on the board they can move so technically you could master those if you can run all the transactions you can figure it out go has millions and millions and millions of different combinations and permutations of, of how the game can end up and the crazy thing about 
AlphaGo when it did this, right? It beat the grandmasters and what have you, was that it was it was doing moves that and things that humans had never even come up with, which is it's kind of weird because the game's thousands of years old too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you started to touch on it. You're a little bit about your background. So where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you join Green Screens. Sure. So I grew, I grew up all over, actually. So I was actually born in El Paso, Texas. My dad was a, an FBI agent. Oh, wow. That's a separate podcast. Whole other topic. <laughs> you can go down that road another time. And so we moved around trying. My family's all from Kansas City, the Kansas City area. So we moved around trying to get back here. Moved back to Overland Park when I was 11. And then pretty much spent. By the way, before we before we get off of Kansas City, Celine and I were talking to you before we hit record, and I said, "Are you in Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri?" And by the way, you guys should have addressed this a long time ago. <laughs> so you're going to get me in trouble with that, Joe, because <laughs> Missouri and Kansas has a very old. <laughs> Civil War rivalry. <laughs> and the Kansas City thing is very, very... Uh, so half of Kansas, is it half Kansas of Kansas City is in Kansas and half is in Missouri? I'm going to throw Missouri a bone here. Technically, like downtown Kansas City is mostly in Missouri. So when you talk about Kansas City, the Chiefs play in Missouri, the Royals play in Missouri. But you still cheer for the... Yes. I mean, it's Kansas City, right? It's It's still Kansas City Metro. It's like people in you know, Gary, Indiana cheering for the bears. It's, it's kind of like Chicago, right? It's like, yeah. People in Toledo are often Michigan fans, university of Michigan fans, and they should be Ohio state fans given they're in Ohio. Actually Toledo was like, there was a war over Michigan and Toledo fought over Michigan and Ohio fought over Toledo. That see, that's the same. That's like Lawrence, Kansas. Lawrence, and they gave us they gave us the Upper Peninsula as a consolation prize for not having, yeah. Toledo, so that's if you look up the Jayhawks and the Jayhawkers, <laughs> you look up Quantrell's Rebels. It's an old historical thing with the border war with Kansas, and Missouri. They, but whether it's Missouri or Kansas, you said it's a huge freight hub down there, and that was something I never knew either. There are a lot of logistics and trucking companies. Makes sense given where you're located. Kansas. Yep, uh, massive hubs. You know, FedEx has a massive facility here. Knight Swift has a massive facility here. YRC was started here and has their headquarters here. Freight Quote was started here, which is now owned by C.H. Robinson. Yeah, a lot of different major uh, logistics companies out of Kansas City. There's a massive actually out in Gardner and Edgerton in the Kansas side, not far from where I live. There's a huge logistics park now. Amazon put a massive facility out there. So KC is... It's on the up and up. When you look, it almost seems like the center of the country. It really is. (laughs) Hubble's dead center. Yeah. Yeah. So where'd you go to college? Give us some career highlights before you join Green Screens. So I went to Kansas State University. So I brought up Lawrence and the Jayhawkers, but I'm actually a Wildcat. All right. That's great. We've had a good year this year. Big 12 champs and then went to the Elite Eight. It's been a good year. But yeah, went to Kansas State. I actually studied political science and Chinese. That's how I ended up in China. So I studied Chinese, was my minor. Dad is an FBI agent. I actually was looking to do government work, either State Department, FBI, something to that effect, and then ended up in logistics. So So what were you doing in China? (laughs) So I actually moved over there. I graduated in 07, moved over there right after I graduated. So I taught English for a year and just was continuing to study Chinese. So I got pretty functionally fluent in, in Mandarin when I was over there. I studied it for three years in school and then lived there for a year the first time. And then um, 
got really interested, caught the business bug because there were so many people, so many entrepreneurs, so many different companies. And this is 07, 08, right? So China's really on the come up at that time with the business side. Yep. And so was looking for an opportunity to go back right as soon as I moved back in 08 to do work. I didn't want to teach, but I wanted to do something business related. But then, you know, the world fell apart at that time. <laughs> so 2008. Trust me, I was an automotive then. So I trust that. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> So I worked around Kansas City for about a year and a half in insurance, funny enough. And then I went back in 2011 and started a company there, actually, with a guy that I went to school with at K-State. And we were doing like energy efficiency, building efficiency technologies. And that's actually how I learned the logistics space was because we were bringing products and technologies into China and representing as distribution partners for companies in the US and Israel. Nice, nice. So then you came back, you got in the freight biz? Came back, got in the freight biz. So I moved back in 2013 and I moved to Chicago and uh, started working for Carrier Direct, if you're familiar with Carrier Direct, which Metaphora, is now Metaphora. Now, huh? Yes, which great is now company. Metaphora. Great company, great company. Peter started there as I was working there. And so know Peter real well, know Ryan Schreiber real well. And then- they both uh, been on the kinda, pod. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're good ones to have on the pod. Yes, they are. But yeah, so that's kind of started my journey. I was actually working with Jet McCandless. Uh, who yep. had started it. He's still all right. He's still okay. He's still okay. And Joel Klum. That's who I'd actually originally met, Joel Klum from Worldwide Express, who hired me and brought me up Oh, to he's a, he's, Joel Klum is from uh, where I live. He li- I think he's from Howell, Yes, Michigan. he's from uh, Howell. Yep. That's where from I Howell, live. Michigan. That's right. So, yeah. So that's kind of was a great starting point because those guys knew a lot of people. How to I remember network. I remember talking to, I'm talking to, oh, I'm trying to think of these guys. name. I just draw a blank on it. Malin kept, Eric. Eric Malin. God, Bob. I have a picture in his face. I talked to him a number of times when he was still at, it was Carrier Direct then. And I remember I said to him, I said, for being not a whole bunch of time in the business, his insights were so great because he was working with so many logistics companies at one time. It was like he was a lot. (laughs) It was, but it was, I was like, it's like you've been around for 25 years when he'd been, you know, five years. It was really yeah. incredible. So I, I was actually at Eric's wedding last summer. We were all there. It's ah, kind of a little carriage nice. like reunion, actually. It's funny. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it, it, it's true, though. I mean, that that whole journey was pretty wild because we had connections to all the major brokerages, a lot of the top carriers working within a lot of different companies as a consulting partner. And there weren't a lot of companies that were doing consulting the way we were at the time where we were kind of like a, Still a aren't. management consulting. Nobody's firm. doing it like they do. No, no, definitely not. Where it's really taking the McKinsey, KPMG, you know, the, the, the PwC, that kind of model and applying it like multi, you know, functional to help businesses grow and strategize. And so it was a But also course. having that tech... Also having that freight tech mindset and being an expert in one space, I love what they're doing over there. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a much needed skill set for a lot of companies that are making that transition. Too. Yep. And it's, it's so great. when and why did you join Green Screens? I mean, you had options. You've done some great things in the space. Why did you join? And when did you join? Yeah. So I actually when I left. Care Direct. I had done freight for a couple of years for a small forwarder called X Freight down in Florida, who was a uh, partner of ours and a, a customer of ours at Care Direct. Managed the freight team for a while, 
got out of that into the tech space with Revanova TMS. So I was there pretty early on with those guys, sixth or seventh employee, maybe over there, helped them grow pretty tremendously over those five years that I was there. We went from, I think like 10 customers to like over a hundred, which in TMS, if you know, TMS is, that's pretty tough. It's it's hard to get people to change TMS. No, (laughs) it's hard. So I was doing sales with them. So I got into the tech side that way to learn all the tech sales. And then yeah, with green screens, it was just an awesome opportunity. I met Don, who you've had on before, who's our CEO. Yep. Don is phenomenal. And they were really looking for, Don was looking for a sales leader, somebody to come in and, and kind of help grow the brand, grow the commercial side of the business, the messaging, the marketing. And so I just saw it as an awesome opportunity with an incredible product, obviously with incredible technology, you know, working with AI, machine learning, everything that's been going on to make that transition into something you know really cutting edge. And so that was November of 21 that I joined the team here. And, and a lot of the reason that I did that was really dawned because it was, there was only three people in the company technically on the day-to-day side in the U.S. at that time. We have all of our developers in Lithuania. So we had 16 developers over in Lithuania at that time, but running the business operations was Don, our, at the time he was a data analyst. He's our head of product now, uh, Sean Johnston, and then uh, Devin Koppel, who's our, one of our main uh, customer success managers. And so I was the fourth person and there was really nobody focused solely on sales. And so it was really just about injecting some jet fuel into it. Right. And really taking what was already a really good technology and then uh, much needed technology. So, you know, this, I'm going to give my layman's take on it is dynamic pricing. I think you probably call it that dynamic pricing is being used by I don't think I, I don't think it's wrong to mention some of the top. Oh, I won't mention them. The top companies <laughs> in the space. We'll say a two dozen, maybe a hundred companies are using it. Out of twenty thousand freight brokers, maybe fifty or hundred. Am I right to say that are using dynamic pricing? And those would be the top companies. And some of these companies have spent a hundred million dollars a year every year on technology. Not most freight brokers don't gross that. So they obviously aren't investing that. And so the big boys are all have it. Dynamic pricing is the winners are going to have dynamic pricing. You can almost write it down. Those are the companies we're going to talk about. They're going to still be here in 10, 15, 20 years, no matter what happens. But um, not everybody's going to be able to get it. Not everybody has that $100 million tech budget, but everybody needs dynamic pricing. I feel like it's one of those haves or have not. If you don't have it, you aren't going to play. You're not going to be in the game. I think that's, it's funny because that concept of dynamically pricing freight or automating off of it, right? First, you got to be able to price the freight. And then the next step is to be able to automate that, right? Automate quotes to customers, offers to carriers, things like that, which as you said, I mean, most of the top you know, 15, 20 freight brokers are doing some form of that today. It's changing the way freight is moving. And a lot of this happened before. Before you, before you jump off automating, what you mean is if I can, with my dynamic pricing, and again, I can always override it. It's not like it's the boss, right? Yeah. So if it tells me, Joe, that Chicago to Atlanta number is $3,000. And I get to know that system. And I say, I no, no longer even need to look at it. I trust it implicitly. So if somebody went in and asked me, you know, maybe I got an email, maybe it was in my system. It could send an email that's buy now, buy now $3,000. And it would send a similar to the carrier for buy now 
or except now 2500 right and we that's the automation right part now. yep and by the way that's what convoy's doing that's what i haven't talked to him lately but that's what uber's doing that's what the load smarts the companies that have spent Echo. a lot of yeah even some of the traditional brokerages robinson's doing that yeah the companies yeah. companies that again can spend have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this so how do you compete and what they're basically doing is they're driving the cost of the transaction cost lower with this technology they're getting better i'm assuming it's better better numbers because ai is involved right Mm-hmm. And they're getting better. That's the thing. They're driving the cost lower in a lot of instances, but they're not sacrificing a lot of margin. Right. Because they're more efficient. I've had Don Salvucci, Fabier on my podcast. We talked about this is the day after COVID. I remember a friend, you know, it wasn't one day, but it seemed to hit in a week. And I remember somebody called and said, hey, I think the rates are really going to go down. I want to renegotiate with my carriers. What do you think? And I was like, and I knew that with their situation, I go, yeah, we always talked about this being partners. I mean, that that would seem like that's, uh, yeah, you can, but you're the one who said we're partners. And now mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, that's my, that's my problem. Well, it wasn't two or three weeks after that, that rates skyrocketed. Went through the roof. Yeah. And those days we didn't know how to price freight, nor would AI because it had no data. But it learned a lot. It learns a lot faster than a lot we faster. do. <laughs> we reacted actually pretty well to to COVID. We launched the product in in April of twenty one, but we've been piloting it since August of twenty uh, with a few companies. NFI was one of our big pilot customers, and we actually re- NFI is still a customer. So there you go. <laughs> we that's, reacted that's pretty favorably yeah, there to you what go. the market was doing at that They're time. They're a big player. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where, to your point, it, it can't AI. It, it still doesn't know what it doesn't know. It, we got to teach it, right? What the market's doing and, and train it on on the reactionary pressure, right? To to where rates are going and that sort of stuff, up or down. But it reacts a lot faster because we can just download data into it and then dynamically price freight within you know a couple hours once it's trained. Yeah, I, and I'm. I don't think this is, you know, makes me uh, any sort of visionary to say this. I suspect a lot of people think the same thing. I think before, you know, a number of years from now, virtually all of our freight quotes will be just basically automated. I don't think that's a big stretch to say at this point. <laughs> I don't know about all of them. I think a lot of them will. I, I think on your major lanes, your high volume stuff, the stuff that's pretty transactional will move into automation. Because it just gets smarter and smarter. That's that's what I keep coming to. You're is... always you're always going to have outliers, though. I mean, we don't we're not perfect. You know, we are. You know, we're but no our are best... humans. <laughs> no, no, we're probably we're probably better than some humans in terms of our accuracy across a wider data set. But you know, if if we're if we're getting is the way that we describe it is like a it's like a bullseye, right? You're throwing darts. Even the best dart throwers in the world aren't great every time right they miss they don't hit every single hey, you got to drink beer while you're doing it so it's not easy makes it a little better right <laughs> throw, throw juice yeah so they yeah but they they get they get as close as possible right and the reason that darts is scored on a system you know accuracy to a certain degree is because you're not gonna hit bullseyes every single time right <laughs> and so it's uh it's it's about getting as close to that bullseye as possible and then 
it's not just throwing darts. It's figuring out where, where you're hitting, right. Right. On the bullseye or, or on the board so that you're trying to get closer every single time you're adjusting with darts, you're adjusting your arm angle. You're adjusting how hard you throw it. There's a million variables that you can adjust for to try to get closer to the board. That's basically how AI works. That's how we work with AI. I mean, we're looking at all these load variables, the market variables, and adjusting for those factors as they change, whereas a human being can't, can't do that on the fly. Well, that brings us to our topic today. So today's topic is navigating the freight downturn with my friend Kevin Coombs. By the way, before we hit record, we were trying to figure out a title, and I, <laughs> I put this. <laughs> yeah, you should tell that story. I put this in. <laughs> yeah, I did a podcast, something about winning the downturn or something like that, with Nick Dangles, and we were talking about the importance of training during the downturn. And I said, so we can't name it the same thing. So we put it in Chat GPT, and I said, give me ten alternatives, and man, it just pops out. So we got this Chat GPT came out with the. And I and I've used ChatGPT quite a bit, and I feel like it doesn't have the whole answer. But if you want to brainstorm different ideas or take a a bio, cut and paste it in there, it's amazing how quickly it comes to just. It's a really good working partner. Let me put it that way. And I feel like this is just the beginning of it. Before long, I feel like we're going to be the weak link in some of it. <laughs> it's so your example is perfect for what AI does well, though it's you could go pull up a thesaurus right on the internet and you can start looking at synonyms to all the words in your title. And then you can start drilling through all of them to try to come up with a different title. And you might be able to do some of this in your brain, but you might not, you know, land on where you want it to be. Right. Right. Chat GPT can take all of those examples, run all of them through the thesaurus, right. Or look at different synonyms for the different words you're using and the syntax, right, in it, and and how the structure of the sentences, and then it can come up with multiple examples all at once in in an instant because it doesn't have to process the same brainwave multiple times to come up with that. It, it can just do it all at once. So that's the perfect example of where AI is 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 that man plus machine thing that yep. I mentioned, right? So we want to talk about navigating the freight downturn. So for those who are not in the day to day of this, somebody who's in warehousing or or in with the shipping lines and they hear, well, what is this downturn? Please describe that downturn. Share the pain with us. Um, Kev. <laughs> I don't want to be doomy and gloomy though. I don't... <laughs> You're not surprising I mean, anyone. <laughs> no, I don't. I shouldn't be not at this point. Anyways. Yeah. It, I mean, it's no surprise as to what's been going on the last eight to nine months. And it's a combination of factors. I mean, freight rates have been coming down significantly, right? The cost to a truck, that's how we always describe it, is has uh, come down significantly. And you see it. You see the evidence of the cost of the truck all over LinkedIn, different places with carriers just basically saying, guys, listen, I, I got to move a truck. Fuel costs money. Maintenance costs money. I got to, I driver costs money. I got to operate this truck. I can't go down any lower than this. So that's been happening. And then with that, we didn't really see a lot of peak season this year. So there wasn't much, you know, if you get back to the end of the year, September, October, November, December, when you start heading into the holidays, normal peak, we didn't see a peak. It wasn't that volumes came down right away, but we just saw it was steady, right? It was pretty even. And so if you look at years over year, 
you know, that's, 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 is, that is down, right? Even steady is down because we saw no peak. We saw no raise in freight volumes ahead of the holidays. And a lot of that was due to, you know, after effects of COVID and a lot of the supply chain issues we've had the last couple of years, we had inventory glut, we had, we had backlogs that all cleared out, right? A lot of this has to do with China also and imports and things like that. And then now, you know, volumes have, have tanked in the last three to four months. Yeah. And you mentioned the inventory. So during COVID, a lot of companies, we weren't sure if you were going to be able to get that stuff in. It took four months to get the sweaters that you had ordered. You missed the season. So now the furniture we, was another so everybody's one real panicked. <laughs> yeah. And they started over ordering, which is what it's natural reaction. But then that has to kind of work its way out. And I think there's another piece of it, which is the economic you know, the government flooded the market with money. Everybody got a check. And uh, God, we all kind of got used to like, just, hey, the government sent me a check for some reason. Um, and it's funny, people felt they couldn't buy a new car because they weren't available. You couldn't go on that vacation. But you could sit around the house and upgrade your tech computer or your TV that you're watching. You could so go on much Amazon. Of, yeah. Right? <laughs> and they're watching, what was the... What was the uh, Tiger show that everyone was watching? Oh, Tiger. Uh, yeah, Tiger King. Or what was it? Uh, yeah. yeah. And it seems like a million years ago, but it we got extra, extra inventory, and then we had volumes come way down. There was no peak season. So we have seen a whole bunch of freight companies, I mean, freight companies, trucking companies go out of business. And it, what's always surprising to me is when you see these companies They'll have a freight brokerage, but they started off as a trucking company. They'll just get rid of their trucks. And it tells you that they see all the money somewhere else. And I've talked to a lot of people who've, who've um, sold their trucks or got, you know, didn't update their leases on them. So we go through this cycle over and over again where we oh, it, the boom it always bust. happens. It does. It's cyclical. But what's yeah. a little interesting about this one is I've heard keep hearing. I just had Chris Pickett on and he's talking about his report. And, you know, he's saying, you know, we're going to have third quarter is not going to be easy. But fourth quarter, we should see some upswing. But now I'm hearing the economy might be down even longer. So who knows? I mean, there's so many of these crazy variables. And I guess we, me, you, none of everyone listening can impact this. But we can do things to stabilize our biz. So talk about if you're a freight broker or a 3PL, what you can do to navigate this freight downturn. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's no, if volumes are down, if freight isn't moving, you can't- I want a silver bullet, Kev. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not going to give you one. (laughs) I'm sure you would love that. Yeah, there is no silver bullet though, but that's a good point, right? Like nothing, there's no one thing that's going to save you from a downturn like that, right? It, it, the one thing that I always say to customers that talk to our team about all the time is that like, you can't, if I'm selling goods to somebody, right? I'm selling fruit. I can go grow more fruit and sell fruit and it's consumed that I grow more fruit and sell fruit. I can't manufacture freight, Right freight volumes are heavily dependent on multiple consumer markets, multiple business to business markets, right? People have to be buying things. People have to be consuming things for those, those, those freight volumes to increase and those things to move. So you can't manufacture freight. There's, there's, there's a finite number of that that's moving out there today um, on any given day. And so what can you do if rates are down, if margins and revenues in turn are down because costs are down and your volumes are down? Well, you just have to be more efficient. 
right? It doesn't mean just bottom out. Don't just sacrifice all your margin and play a cash flow game and hope that you survive. It's about being more efficient with what you've got in house. You shouldn't be hiring 10 employees. You should be trying to find a way for your current employees. Do to more, more with less. Do more with less, right? How can they move more volumes? How can you go acquire new customers? It's not all, and it's not all technology based. The technology can help you be efficient. You got to sell service though, too, right? You got to find ways for that efficiency to bleed into your business practice with your customers and make them happy. I would also think that when, and I think this is, happens everywhere, when the market's down, you start getting really frightened to give a fat rate, right? So you know that you need a certain margin and that this is what we're trying to achieve within the business, but then you start going, but maybe we'll just ask for a little less and so we can win that business, right? And because you're worried and we get, and this is all very justified, but the difference with AI is AI doesn't, doesn't worry. Doesn't care. And it reminds me, I remember I was traveling some, this was a few years ago and I came home and I got a check for all my travel and I paid off my credit card. And the next day I got like a $3,000 credit limit. I was like, huh. It's like, that's weird. This is years ago. And I was like, and and I'm kind of thinking like, is there a committee that sat down and was reviewing all of the Joe's, Joe Joe's spending, bump. right? And they're like, <laughs> but if there was a committee that sat down, they wouldn't have given me a $3,000 bump like that, right? But AI is just, it, does, it doesn't have emotions related to this. And by the way, that was not, not much in the overall scheme of things for me, but- if a person or persons was involved, I got to think they'd be like, well, we'll give him $500 more to see how he behaves. But AI was like, boom. And that, and I didn't realize that. I have a great anecdote for that. It, very specific to freight. And as a conversation we had two weeks ago with the customer. So this customer was asking us about, this is a newer customer, right? So we're actually training their models right now, meaning we're feeding it the data. The AI is learning. To, to price freight for them. So with green screens, we actually build what we call a target buy rate. So it's an individual model for each customer. So we have a network rate, which is general across the whole market. The AI is making a prediction. And then we have a target rate, which each individual brokerage could run Chicago to Dallas. They're all going to most likely have a different rate because they have different customers, characteristics, freight, things like that, that are going to influence those prices that they pay for a truck. So we get their buy sale, buy side data to the carrier and we get their sell side data. So we see what they sold it for too, because those are parts of our models to see what they bought it for, what they sold it for. Margins are obviously important to us to make sure they're making money on the freight. And this customer was telling us that, you know, the, the buy rate was too high. We needed to go through the data and figure this out because they were paying less than this. And we were like, yeah, you're probably right. There's probably certain things in this data pool that we need to work on, that we need to filter for or clean up so that the, the, the AI is getting a better rate. But why do you think it's lower, right? We asked them like, why? What does your gut feel to tell you that that rate is lower? And they were like, well, we could see, you know, we're paying this, we're paying this. And, and one thing they brought up is, to your point, is they said, if we put 15% margin, for example, on that load, and we sell it for over, I think it was like 560 is what the rate was. And they're like, if we sell it for over $600, we'll never win that load, is what they said. They were like, the customer just won't give it to us. And they, they're like, we, we wouldn't sell that load for any more than 575 You know what happened? We pulled up their data. They'd moved that load 10 times in the last week and a half. Every single one was sold for over $600. Every single load <laughs> was over $600 that they sold to the customer. We were like, so hold on, guys. Let's back up for a minute. 
you were about to diminish your own margins, right? Just because of your gut feel about the market. By the way, you don't feel cut. You're a sales guy. I've said this before regarding sales. Being a salesperson is kind of a momentum thing. Now, you'd like it to be all about discipline. You'd like to say, I I am cold as ice and I do my job the same yeah. way every day. But when you have something go wrong and then something else go wrong, and then you're in that third meeting and you're like starting to feel like, oh, damn. The world's against me. <laughs> yeah, like I just hope I don't. I can't keep yeah. dropping the ball here. I could. I got to. I got to turn this around. And all of a sudden, your your emotions are involved. And again, this is this is human nature. And it's not what AI does. AI doesn't have bad days. It just <laughs> no. And and that's it, right? It didn't. It doesn't think that they should sell for less than six hundred dollars just because that's where they think the market is, or that's where they think this is going, and they think they wouldn't win the load. It doesn't really care. And we don't. We don't AI the sell rate side. But obviously the buy side of the truck equation is part of that, right? Where they can sell it for and where they can buy it for to maximize margin. And it was like, guys, you would have just, you know, you would have just diminished your own margin by 5%. So, for no so you don't do the buy side. What do you mean by that? We only do the buy. So with the predictions that we make with green screens, with the AI is the cost to the truck. So we're predicting what you would pay a carrier to move the load. Is what we're okay. Okay. So- I imagine someday you'll be doing the other side too, but this is really valuable because if I'm if I'm buying, you you said I have to buy it for this rate, and I'm off because again my emotions are off, and again we're just also we're we're creatures of habit, and I often say reminds me of my old cat. I would say he's a creature of bad habit, <laughs> like <laughs> had yeah. a bunch of bad habits. That's what he did. But we're the same. We get we get habits of thought. This becomes our attitude about stuff. So let's kind of summarize here. So volumes are down, inventory, there's a glut and it's not just, it's not just inventory. It's sometimes the wrong inventory. So there's a lot of sales, a lot of people trying a lot to, of clearance. how do we figure out how to get rid of this stuff? And for a long time, people were like, I think COVID's over and it wasn't. And then they thought it was over and it wasn't. And I think we also have some problems related to China in general tariffs are there. So we have we have more problems than we used to with doing business in China and they're a big trading partner. We talked about the lack of peak season. So going forward, we have to maximize our margins. We have to find a way and we have to do more with less, which means we're being more efficient. How does green screens help me do that? So it's it's kind of some of the things I mentioned earlier, right? If I'm spending, let's say 15 to 20 minutes researching a lane, making sure that, that I feel good about this, right? My gut feels good about this, making sure that the price that I'm using is correct. And I don't want to quote a customer because I'm afraid that I'm going to not get the right margin or the carrier sales guy is going to get mad at me because I quoted it too low and he can't go cover it for the right price, right? It's about cutting through that time, right? So each quote that goes out, you have confidence in it. You know that you can win off of this rate and that you could go back and cover the truck, so that each rep can actually process more quotes, right? Handle more customers, deal with more exceptions. There's always going to be human problems in freight right. that can't be solved by a machine. You know, certain loads, certain problems with exceptions. There might be certain quotes that are more difficult than others that you want to make sure that you place emphasis on, right? In a tough market when there's no trucks. But all the ones that are the wins that you can get out quick, quote quicker, move faster, win more freight, 
right? And ensure that that freight is one profitably, which is also important because you want to make sure you maximize the margin level on it. And when I say maximize margin, I don't want to say like you don't need a 50% rip right? on, a, on, a, on a shipper. That isn't the problem we're deal- dealing with right now. We're dealing with people getting very nervous about putting any margin on it. Because, any margin, right. And so I want to talk a little bit about the transportation management system or or whatever people, I know a lot of people say, I don't have a TMS, I have a collaborative logistics platform. And I'm sensitive to all that because they so much more than TMS now. Yeah, I have a TMS and I can use, I can bring in those rates from green screens. Are you guys just attached through an API? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're pre-integrated to, I think, 11 TMS providers, 12 commercial TMS providers today. We're probably working on 30 or 40. So if, it, so if they're not already connected, they will be soon. They will be soon. And so when I, I go into my system constantly. and I say, I want to move a lane, Chicago to LA, my system has, maybe my TMS will have rates. What goal is to be right in front of you. Yeah. And then yours will pop in from, and your, that number is what I normally would what you guys say I should buy that for. And it's based on my data? Based on your data, as well as the data of all of our customers. So we use the consorted data of all of our customers. Do I get two different numbers then? One is like- Two different numbers, yep, yep. So So this is what everyone else is paying 800 and I've been paying 825 and you go, okay, close enough, I'm okay with that. But if I find out, oh my God, I've been paying 880 and everyone else is paying 800 you're like oh wait a sec Maybe wait a sec yeah. yeah and you go why why well we've always worked with one company there well okay time to open it up right yeah find more carriers or look into why you're sometimes you might be paying 880 for no i mean you might be moving you might be the one person that moves TVs out of that location for Best right, Buy, right. right? And electronics. And you're paying a little bit more because you're paying more premium for carriers. And you might know that, right? So you're okay with that. But the next guy that's not moving TVs, who's also on your team, <laughs> out of that same area, right? He needs to know that the rest of Mark's paying $800. You know, like it's, it's yeah. So I can get to the place where I'm kind of have that except now where it's automated. But when people first start working with you, are they saying... I just want to see that um, and we can use that rate that is recommended by the AI or we can use our own. Yeah, there's there's a couple ways to use it. Yeah, the automation is is usually once we get the models up and running, the AI starts learning. They feel really comfortable. Once they feel comfortable with you, it's it's funny when the the illogical humans finally go, yeah, all right, AI is smarter. They know. (laughs) Now, I will say this. We've had... (laughs) We've had a couple of large brokers who have a lot of data who were just like, no, we want to automate like as soon as we can. Like we want to automate as quickly as possible because they have a lot of volume, a lot of data. They're very strategic and they know the, the high volume lanes where they price within a very small margin of error, right? And so they want to go out and just automate that stuff as quickly as possible. I recommend that for everybody. Well, you want, you want them to move at the right pace for them. Yes. And that's different. And we have, we have brokers as small as 4 million in revenue. We have a brokerage that's 2.5 billion in revenue. Right. And I got to think if you're, if the more you push, like, go, 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 let's do this. And I don't think you guys would do that, but if they do, and then anything goes wrong, then they're like, oh, now they're really pulling back with the, so I got to think it's. It behooves us to prove it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you want, you use the analogy of the, the darts where you're just trying to get tighter and tighter into that, you know, inner circles. 
Yeah, that's that's the greatest analogy. I, I used what on LinkedIn recently about Steph Curry. I said even <laughs> Steph Curry doesn't. If you watch the recent playoff series, he doesn't hit all of them <laughs> all the time. He's probably the best three point shooter in history, and he misses. Speaking of which, I'm a Michigan Wolverine, and our best basketball player is going down to Kansas to play basketball. Saw that. I saw that. I'm sorry for that, especially because it's the Jayhawks, and I'm like, uh, I know. Yeah, and they're and, all rubbing it in our face, the K State. Yeah, and by the way, this was what crazy to me is he's he's a great player. 18 points. He a is. Game. He's very seven one. He's been a great great guy on the team, but. He's probably like they don't want. He probably doesn't not a first rounder in the pros and the NBA. They're saying they're paying him two million dollars a year in that NIL. The NIL deal. It's crazy. And then it's he said Michigan's crazy. only paying me like less than a hundred grand a year. And I was like, all right, Michigan, we can come up with some cash here. Got a lot more money than that up in Michigan. It's the Harvard like, Midwest. We, right? we, we got like we got like <laughs> we got like thirty billionaires with U of M. I'm like, come on, yeah, four lot. One of the Google Rich guys. Rich Eisen. Where's Rich Eisen at? He went to Michigan. Yeah. Right? What, Michigan. One of the Google guys went to Michigan. Come on, man. Get yeah, that checkbook that's out. That's true. Get it out. Yeah. That's the changing landscape of college sports now. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Anyway, you're getting off track. It's just a painful thing to live through yeah. here. Because you always want to think your team is the team everyone's jumping to, not to, oh, yeah, we not lost to another team. We lost. Rough. And I feel bad for any of these like mid major leagues where they lose to, to the top teams. But anyway. So we have to maximize margin. We have to get more efficient. We have to do more with less less people, ideally. And that doesn't mean you're laying them off. It just means that as you grow, you don't have to keep hiring on. And I, by the way, I've been interviewing people who are doing a tremendous amount of revenue with relatively small number of people. That is going to become more the norm. And we've this industry kind of grew up as tons of clerks tons of people who could do data entry and boiler room right yeah boiler room mentality we got yeah. we keep is you use the term class just bring another class of guys to sit yeah. down and make bring in the new phone calls sales class right or the new carrier rep class or yeah yeah so anyway i'm, if I'm using green screens i'm going to get much better at buying for the right price so i i can Look at what I've been paying out of my my own data, but you guys also give me something outside, which is where do you get that other the national data? Do you buy that from some of the third party sources? We don't buy any data. So all of our customers, we have a hundred and twelve. Oh yeah, so you have all their data. Yeah, they're all contributors to the network. We don't share any of that between our customers. Of course, it's anonymous. Of course, any of that, it's all anonymous, but it's all feeding the AI. Right, we're feeding the beast. So that's training it. There's all these data sources out there, and I've seen the data sources. One of the things I always think is, so you got that data source from a 3PL? Yes. And this one from a broker? Yes. And this one from a carrier? Yes. Wait a sec. Carrier one should always be lower than the 3PLs. And they're like, well, not always. because. And I was like, oh, wait a sec. This is, this, and, and this is, this is everybody's problem, but I'm not criticizing it's unless you can really segregate data. And by the way, there's a lot of trucking companies that kind of act like brokers and they have their own brokerage arms. So it's it's data cleanliness is probably the most important part. AI, AI. can't fix that. No, it can't. <laughs> AI knows what we if tell it. If you feed it garbage, it spits out if garbage. You, if you tell it it's a cat and it's a dog, it's going to think it's a cat. Like that's, that's just how it works, right? It doesn't know what a dog and a cat are. It doesn't know what yellow and blue are. So you guys, are, in fact, you guys are becoming another data source, which is kind of, again the anonymous data from all of your 
people who are using your system. So you guys get better every day because you have more customers every day, more customers, and more, and more, more yeah. transactions every day. So it just gets tighter and tighter. I love it. So you guys have a new offer. And again, this is part of this navigating the freight downturn. You guys have a new offer. And again, that recognize that everyone's going through hell. What is the, what is this new offer? Yeah. So the market's obviously rough, right? And, and the freight market's down, but tech luckily for us has still been good. We've been, you know, we've hit a couple bumps lately with a lot of the industry and that sort of stuff. People have a hard time making those budget decisions, right? Cause they're cutting back. Oh yeah. Everybody wants don't... to cut back at all. Basically as soon as bad times hit, you want to lay people off and I hope nobody does, but they, people want to do layoffs. They want to reduce their tech budget. They want to reduce their training budget, but keep in mind the big guys aren't doing any of that. No. And that's, there's actually a study. So the reason that we came up with this idea to do what we're about to talk about with, with discounting some of our pricing for our customers is uh, KPMG did a study a few years back after the 08 recession and they studied through the recession and the companies that had invested through the recession in 08 came out the other side. The shareholder values were like, you know, anywhere from like four to five X more than the people that cut back, the people that laid off, the people that didn't cut their tech budgets, whatever. Their stocks were highly improved, their companies, their sales numbers, everything was way up coming out of the recession. They were much stronger, whereas those companies that didn't, that cut back, they struggled. And so we understand as a tech company, right, that that is also difficult, especially in our market where, like I said, you can't manufacture more freight. There's no, there's no infinite market here. You basically got to win it from someone else right now. You'll have to take somebody else's business, yes. But that maximizing margin, right? Navigating that downturn. Sometimes it's not about growing. Sometimes it's about maintaining, right? And doing less with more so that you can get through it and you can be more efficient. And so for us, we've seen a lot and heard a lot of stories about certain tech vendors, different people raising rates on people, locking them into longer term contracts or exclusivity, which we will never do. We don't need exclusive data rights. We don't need any type of exclusivity. We're actually going to discount our prices. So we've seen, we've given a lot of discounts recently and we've talked to a lot of customers and it's like, listen, we're not here to, to like, we're here to be a partner. We want people with us, with the AI and the machine learning component of what we do and the consortium that we're building. We want people with us for 10 years. Because the more critical mass we build, the more that Green Screens has in terms of data science and data capabilities, we can provide a better market understanding for our customers, right? And it isn't just about rates. It's about volumes. It's about ebbs and flows, right? It's about, it's about seeing the changes in the market and the trends, which are other tools that we're developing right now. And so we're going to actually discount pricing through the rest of the quarter, up to 20% based on how long a customer is willing to uh, sign with us, right? Because I love it. Now, how do you, and you don't have to mention actual numbers, but how do you guys bill to, to people? Is it a monthly set, set fee or by transaction or how does this work? That's actually another beauty of what we do. So we don't bill per transaction or per user fee. We bill everything on a flat monthly cost. Ah, um, nice. Huge piece for us. So it, ideally, as people are growing, that becomes less and less of a... Right. The, the, the price will increase based on the size of the business. Obviously, we have to do more work with larger customers and more data, but it's exponentially It's a stair-step stair thing. It's a stair-step. Yeah. The more transactions you're moving, you're actually making... You're, you're winning because you're, you're paying us less per transaction. So 
it's that's also a strategic thing for us in all of this, right? We want to see our customers automate. We want to see them move into this world where they don't have to touch every transaction or do these things. We charge you on every quote you send out. A quote's not a load. So we hit you a hundred times before you win one load. That's a lot of margin that we're taking out of your pocket. And so you flat monthly fees based on the size of your business. And uh, we don't increase, we only increase year to year. So you grow from 50 to 150 million. Well, great. We don't do anything until the next year. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, there was an old book, I think it was called mega trends. And they talked about one of the trends being high tech and high touch. And they said that the more things become high tech, the more we as humans crave human interaction and more kind of higher touch. And I think this is kind of a perfect example. We, we're talking about AI and, you know, we all have this kind of otherworldly sense of it. Like, what is it going to do? Right. But you're being very human about this saying, Hey, look, guys, we know you're not AI. You're buying at a time when you're not feeling, feeling great, but you want to invest in your business. And obviously green screens thinks you should invest in your business because Again, the very best companies are, nation's the very best, the big boys are already investing in this and seeing great advantage to it. I mean, you don't ever hear anybody at Convoy or Echo say, well, that works sometimes, not other times. No, it's, it's, it works. It works. It definitely <laughs> does. And you're, to your point, it's, 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 it's actually, uh, it's further to that, right? Because your customers expect, if you can quote faster, they don't want the numbers and the calculations from you. They want that from wherever they can get it, right? And then once they award you a load, the service level is about the touch and the human touch and being able to relate to them, build relationships. And so spend more time doing that. I say that to customers all the time. That's what we want you to do as a, as a, as a freight company. Spend more time on the human tasks. Do empathy, sympathy, dealing with customers, dealing with carriers. That's what humans do well. And yeah, it's moving. Stuff. It's, you know, it's probably well over said, but I'll say it again, is we're all kind of moving into almost a data scientist perspective. And you get to the place where you say, I'm not spending as much time calling carriers and and calling customers, but much more time looking at data and making suggestions on, hey, if you could call me one day earlier on this, I could save you 20%. And you guys that you'll have that data. So will be so much better over time where you say, Hey, if you'd called me yesterday, I could have bought it for this. You didn't call me yesterday. And this is what we're costing ourselves. And, and you know what I always think about, and maybe you're already doing this. You have my past data, which can you go back and say, yeah, last month you paid this much for yeah. your loads. And we if actually you do that today. Yeah. And if you used, if you used us, used us, you would have saved 4%. Yeah. We actually even have a tool that'll go back as far as you need. So we can go back to last year and see what the averages you paid and, and all that. So you can, that is so cool. Position that for a customer. Yeah. And what the rate is today, right? Where we're at, but where it was 30 days ago or 60 days ago. I'm looking at that historical and say, Hey, this is pretty darn close. i Maybe I left money on the table, but more importantly, it's pretty darn close on here. Uh, I feel comfortable moving over to the using more of it, uh, that data. And that's Especially all the we're automation. Gotta, yeah, you got to strategize around that. You yeah. got to feel comfortable. So, anyway, I want to wrap this bad boy up. I've gone over my time as usual. <laughs> we're talking about with Kevin Coombs, we're talking about navigating the freight downturn. So, Kevin, final thoughts. 
what's next for you? What's next for green screens? And what's next for the industry in regards to what we talked about today? Ooh, those are all very different topics. Any I think order. the future's bright for green screens. <laughs> Let's start there. You know, the good news first. I think the future is really good for us. I mean, I, I think, as you said, that the tech industry is is changing in freight. I think more people are becoming more data focused in terms of how they're managing their strategies around margins, around volumes, around customers, how they index their business. We say a lot. So for us, I mean, the next steps for us is obviously continue to do the research and development on our current core tools with pricing freight, looking at other modes, potentially drayage, expedite, multi-stop, different parts of the industry that we can predict rates on so that we can provide more of a full coverage. But for us also, we're moving into more of a strategic partnership role with our customers where the data that we do have, how do we use that to strategically price our freight, right? Look back, look forward. Where do we want to be on margins? Where do we, you know, if we maximize, if we want to maximize volume, but we bring our margin down, are we winning in the long run, right? With these customers with these lanes, those are the types of things that we're starting to get into with all of our customers. And we're going to productize a lot of that in the near future to help them understand their business better. Because again, each brokerage, each logistics company is completely different, right? You have different customers, carriers, commodities, you move regions that you move in and out of. So what you do is not the same as what the next guy does. So you got to understand your own business. So those are a lot of the things that we're working on right now for the future is how to help enable our customers as data scientists, right? And data strategists to be better about that. The industry as a whole, I mean, it's a, I think it's going to be a rocky road through the end of the year. I don't see us coming back, you know, with a fury <laughs> anytime soon. I don't see like rates rising significantly anytime soon. We, we have to see the pendulum swing to where, you know, we're, we're moving more freight than capacity. And we haven't seen that in a while. In a few months. So I would be paying attention to that. I, I, I think the other concern for us is just consumer behavior. I was talking to my team last week about this on the sales side and it, you brought it up with the government and, and some of the stuff during COVID and the checks, everybody paid down their debt. Well, debt is back to like astronomical levels. We're, good <laughs> at that. We're all good at long. that. <laughs> We're very good at debt in this country, but I mean, those types of things influence consumer spending behavior. Right? And if volumes are already down and inventory is not moving, we're not seeing a lot of freight, but people aren't going to spend a lot of money because they don't have savings or they don't have the, the luxury expenditure to save. Well, I see consumer confidence is down and um, and it's down through the end of the year. I mean, that's... Yeah. And I I have heard people, Chris Pickett came on my podcast, that look for a little bit of, little bit of blue sky come the fourth quarter. And I know um, some of the bigger sh- shipping lines are starting to spend in the fourth quarter or they say they're going to start spending, but hang on until then. But until then we still should work on our business. Yeah. And I'll say this, Chris Pickett's a very smart guy. So (laughs) I like Chris a lot. I think the one silver lining there is that the freight market can only go so low. Costs can only go so low. So to Chris's point that at at some point you're going to have exiting truckers from the market, you're going to have a crunch on capacity. It's going to drive rates up. That's just market economics right the boom and bust again yeah which is not good i think that's that's maybe my one uh takeaway is that i think our cycles are going to start those wavelengths are going to start becoming a lot closer together (laughs) yeah well again you guys with the 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 drive towards better data is is going to uh be really helpful so i like to interview smart interesting people like you who are killing it who else should i interview on my podcast 
see, we're working with a lot of partners right now on a lot of different freight tech fronts. I think it's pretty cool. One thing that I think is interesting for the industry as a whole right now, and somebody that I think would be really interesting for you to talk to is a guy, Dan Lindsay with Linkage. Seen him on LinkedIn. Dan is a great guy. Dan's doing something really cool called the Broker Carrier Summit. I love it. I saw that. And he already had one, right? He did a smaller one in Indianapolis. They had a good turnout. I mean, just for a, a quick turnaround, I think they had like 60, 70, 80 people, something like that. Uh, they're expecting a lot more at this next one down in Tampa in October. But the concept it is why Dan's cool. The concept is, you know, brokers, carriers, what we talked about, right? AI is not going to solve those problems. Like working with more carriers, building those relationships getting the strong relationships so you don't have to deal with the fraud or the double brokering or anything like that, right? Eliminate that by building strong carrier relationships, bring the brokers and the carriers together. That's really Dan's goal. So I think that's a a pretty cool concept that uh, we're excited about. We're going to be a part of. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will. I actually just talked. Trey Griggs called me the other day and said, "Would you interview Dan Lindsay?" So this is uh, nice. this okay. is uh, this is all. Well, I'll, throw, I'll throw you one more. Truckstop.com okay. is another one that we've been talking to a lot, building partnership with Kendra Tucker. Is what do they do over Truckstop for those who don't well, deal with them? Trucks, Truckstops. I mean, obviously their major product is the low boards, but they're you know they've kind of expanded their product suite recently in the last few years. You know they. RMIS, Safer Watch, focusing on some of the yes. carrier onboarding, things like that. They're looking at some other tools around data. That's why we've been talking to them a lot uh, about different things because they're very, they're becoming very data focused around capacity, around pricing, around the trends in the market. So uh, Kendra Tucker, who's their new CEO, is, is awesome. Super I would smart. love to interview her. So yeah, connect me. Excellent. So what conferences will we see you and the fine folks from green screens at? I think that our next one, um, so Don was invited to speak on a panel at the JOC, which is in Chicago. That's not till September. We'll probably have a couple people head up to Freight Waves in June. That's, that's coming in F3. a few weeks. Is that F3? No, they have one in June in Cleveland. Oh, that's uh, right. Which is the, I don't remember the name. I don't remember the name. But it's <laughs> going to Freight Waves. Yep, you, yeah, you can find it. We won't, we won't be exhibiting or anything, but I think we'll have a couple of people out there. We've been talking to Freight Waves a lot more. But the JOC, I think Dawn is maybe going to speak on a panel. Excellent. Just had them on. FTR is a good partner. That's somebody you could also talk to. Very smart guys out of Indianapolis. FTR Market Intelligence or Freight Intelligence. They do very cool conference in Indianapolis. It's, it's very data Introduce me. I will introduce you. And then I think later in the year, obviously the TIA, Technovations, the F3 in Chattanooga, the Broker Carrier Summit in October. We'll be at a lot of them. Armstrong, probably in Chicago. Yep. We're going to have to divide and conquer because we have a lot of places to be. I saw, a lot of dance all, cars. I saw all of you at Manifest in Vegas. And yeah. uh, I imagine I'll see you there next year, which is in February. So. Definitely we'll be back at Manifest right before the Super Bowl next year. Yes, yes. It's the same week. It, the Super Bowl is in Vegas this year. Yep. And it's the same week. So so hopefully I'll just show up. The Chiefs will be in it. And yeah, I'll just yeah, just, yeah, we'll just run. I'll go with you. We'll just go scalp tickets. Man, probably just, just right outside. $6,000. It could be hundreds of dollars. I mean, yeah, could, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll also put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And uh Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I always like talking to green screens because I feel like 
this is one of the killer apps out there. These are apps that are changing the business. And I think we had visibility. We talked about it constantly for three years. <laughs> and I think we're seeing the next one is going to be dynamic pricing. And I don't know anyone else doing it. So, <laughs> so I appreciate that, Joe. <laughs> you don't want me to know anyone else. Does. So anyway, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.